every formula coming at you live from venus uncle dre and auntie chris bring you gangster goddess broadcast did you just call us girls i did we're not girls anymore we're not the golden girls no we're gangsters we're broads we're gangster broads. Okay. Yeah. Um, not, um, not anymore. I like that your husband just said that you were, instead of tick-talking, he said you were tick-talking. I'm tick-talking. Can you tick-talk? Tick-talk. Tick-talk. <laughs> tick-talk. Tick-talk. No, no more. Okay. Um, yes. Are we rolling? Oh. Well, always. See? The hammer. Welcome to Gangster Goddess Broadcast with Uncle Dre and... Auntie Chris. <laughs> um, we have a new show. We do. <gasps> nervous. So weird. Um, I'm not really nervous, though. Um, I'm excited. Yes. We have been liberated. We have been busted and readjusted, which is kind of the name of our little world right now under the guise of gangster, gangster goddess. goddess. Why do I always want to say that with you? Every time you stop, I just want to be in tune. Gangster Goddess. Well, how much do you love our intro? I love it. With our with our logo lips. Those are Chris Kushner's lips, everyone. They are. Yes, they are. And that's my voice in the in in the intro. Yeah. It's a nice combination, a nice balance. Yes. The dirty dentist required her to have her lips photographed for the logo. Yes, I am the dirty dentist. She is. <laughs> She's not lying. <laughs> um, anyway, I'm sure that some of you guys have seen our old podcast. Uh, we're really excited to be starting a new one. We're starting with season two of The Sopranos. Episode one. We've already done um, season one elsewhere. I'm sure you can find that. But we kind of wanted to pivot a little bit. Chris, mm -hmm. why don't you tell our fans out there what um, our new flavor? Aside from being a Soprano rewatch, because of, of course I'm here, Adriana's here, I'm going to continue to to bring you the Soprano rewatch, but what are some of the other things that we're interested in? We decided to do a special segment called Busted and Readjusted. And that is our little baby that we've been wanting to do forever. And I've heard, you know, there's been some press. Trey's talked about this before. So we're finally bringing it to light. And they're tragedy to triumph stories. And we're going to highlight some very special guests that we bring on and tell their stories and hear their stories of, of tragedy to triumph. We've also been busted and readjusted over and over again. I think that, I think in life in general, we're constantly being busted and readjusted, always. which is why we're always learning and evolving, evolving. and changing. And I think that, um, you know, when, when we initially started out to do a Soprano rewatch, at first I was like, oh, man, like, I don't know what I have to offer in that area because we really wanted to. <laughs> silly, but sorry. Well, no, I mean, I, I really wanted to focus more on on these sort of busted and readjusted stories. Yeah. But when I would watch The Sopranos and went back, I was like, okay. We really have um, a perfect backdrop to tell these stories because these characters are constantly busted and readjusted. Mm -hmm. And um, and how evolved is Tony Soprano? Strangely enough, yeah. you're taking a, a mafia guy in in a in a subculture where they're very close-minded. It's a, you know everything kind of goes by the rules of the mob and and the family and the Italian um, their Italian heritage. And he was so evolved. Yeah. Through his, uh, it, imagine if he had spirituality. Imagine if he had become um, someone who meditated. Mm -hmm. um, it would be a whole different thing. Um, but instead, he was seeking out his uh, his his what do, what do we call it? Um, 
trying to face his demons with a therapist. Mob bosses can't do that. No, um, which that doesn't yes. generally happen. But uh, anyhow, he was a very evolved character, in my opinion. He wasn't just a regular these and those kind of guy. Um, and today, because we have started our busted and readjusted sort of theme and series on this show, mm-hmm. we have a really special guest. We do. I'm and we're really excited about it. So excited. Yeah. and Nervous, excited, everything. Yes. And he has a major busted and readjusted story. Um, clearly not a, not a, um, not a man who could have gone into therapy without having gotten probably clipped. Um, his name is Michael Franzisi. He's one of the only, um, members of the mob that actually was able to walk away publicly unscathed. Welcome to our very first Gangster Goddess broadcast brought to you by our awesome sponsors, HelloFresh and Tushy. Wow, that was very sexy. Tushy. Anyhow, I love it. Tushy. Thanks to HelloFresh for supporting Gangster Goddess. HelloFresh offers fresh, high-quality ingredients every week for a super flavorful experience. Over 90% of ingredients are sourced directly from growers to ensure the freshest recipes are delivered to your door. Go to HelloFresh.com front slash GG80 and use a code GG80 to get a total of $80 off your meal, including free shipping on your first box. That's amazing. Do it. Yeah. It's yummy. Then take yourself over to your toilet (laughs) after you've eaten your delicious meal. Mm-hmm. And um, another word from our other sponsors. Thanks to Tushy for supporting Gangster Goddess Broadcast. Tushy is a sleek bidet attachment that clips onto your toilet and sprays your butt clean with fresh water. Yes. And it's the best thing you can do for your butt. And it starts at only $79. Go to hellotushy.com slash goddess. To get 10% off. I love that. Go to hellotushy.com slash goddess to get 10% off. I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say everything you say. (laughs) (laughs) We're really silly guys. Uh Anyhow, enjoy our show. This is a big deal. I'm so excited about having him on. Me too. I mean, in the 80s with with all the Rico things going on, the fact that he didn't end up in prison for 200 years. No, and he's turned his life around. He he embodies this busted and readjusted theme that we're going to go throughout this whole, this whole, um, all these segments. I mean, he really pivoted. Yeah, and and not just... Not just in a way where, like, he cleaned up his life and it was okay and he's living a normal life now. He's actually using his life, which is what we do with, with this show, The Sopranos, because we always call it a relate instead of a rewatch because we try to relate to all of the issues on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, he takes his mob story and his history, and it's not so much that he's telling the story to amuse people, even though a lot of people who interview him really just want that story. Yeah. Chris Who'd and you I, kill? Where did you bury the money? Yeah. All those silly questions that yeah we, we want those we, we, we want, want to know those, those things too. too of course but we're more interested in how he turned his life around he, and sorry he was a real captain a real yeah. life captain well it was, he was also extremely famous in the mob for being the Forbes 
he was on the top of the Forbes list for one of the wealth, wealthiest mafiosos in yeah. history. At he 35. Was, at 35. He was bringing in $8 million a week for a tax fraud scam over, over uh, with his, uh, with a whole, with wholesale propane. Um, so we had gas stations. It was, it, it's, it's kind of a genius scam. <laughs> we're not going to talk too much about it because we're going to let him tell his story. Yeah. But our interest in him was that he really turned his life around and now he's a motivational speaker and possibly even becoming a life coach. He has many books out oh. um, about his life. Tons and of press. he's been married for 35 yeah. years. He has seven children, a lot of daughters. So you know he's uh he's definitely in the hot seat a lot of the time. Yeah. <laughs> he he went from one jail cell to another with a lot of daughters because you know, we know what it's like to be a daughter and a wife yeah. and a you know, sister, and all abroad. those things. Abroad. abroad. Anyhow. Yes, we're very excited about having him on today, and we shouldn't really talk. Oh, let's wait, get into wait, wait. it before he comes on. Can I just tell you one quick thing? What? Because I don't want to ask him all the mafia questions because uh -huh. I don't want to be a total mayonnaiser like the Cusimanos. Uh -huh. um, the you know people always ask him about Jimmy Hoffa. Yeah, and, because that's all, you know the big mob ties to Jimmy Hoffa, um, and people ask him about uh, the Kennedys and the and the Kennedy assassination and all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. He said in an interview that his father was constantly being put in jail over and oh, over. Yeah. And he got he got uh -huh. put away for a string of for masterminding a bunch of bank robberies. Um, he was he wasn't guilty. He was guilty of a lot of other things. His father was in jail till he was, I think, 102 or 101. 100, yeah. And he died at 103, which is amazing. God bless him. But um he the, the the reason why they think that the 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 feds were all over him all the time was because his father had had an affair with Marilyn Monroe. <gasps> oh, we gotta get into all I, of it. I know. Yes. I don't know if we'll, I don't know if I want to ask that question. Well, I I but supposedly do. that was the case, and um, I don't know if he knew the truth about it, but I think his dad told him that story that they had an affair, so the Kennedys were all over him, oh, and wow. they just you know, were nagging at him. And I mean, his dad went to jail just for associating with a felon. I know. It was constant. It was constant. So anyway. Let's get into the episode. Okay, let's I'm get Michael so here. excited let's get Michael to get here. him on. on Zoom. Let's do it. Okay. Let's get him on Zoom. Thank you so much for joining us we're, and taking time. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it, really. This is going to be different from a lot of the interviews that you've done. We've seen some of them. I don't know if this is your first... Um, Kiakiaron interview because we're a couple of Kiakiarons, you know. Oh my God. Um, I know everything is. <laughs> it is. I had a feeling. So you know, I know that. Um, I I don't know if you remember in season one of The Sopranos, the Cusamanos, they call them the Mayonnaisers, right? We're you know, I think when people interview you, they're kind of like the Mayonnaisers. Yeah. They want to hear your mob story. They just want to get this story out of you. And she and I are are more interested in busted and readjusted stories. So what a better perfect fit for our opening episode to have you because we love your story yeah. so much. Thank you. Um, and I know I was talking about the 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 Cusimanos on The Sopranos, the Mayonnaisers, right? <sighs> and how they wanted Tony to tell their mob story and their this and that. And we obviously we want to ask you those questions because my family was – my grandfather was, um, I didn't know him. My grandfather, you, I'm wondering if you might know him because I didn't know him, but um, my family was in that family. My mom came out of that. And 
So we're going to want to ask you those questions because our fans definitely want to hear that stuff too. But we're also really interested in the other side of the story. And how and you've of, pivoted. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the female kind of questions <laughs> as opposed to the money laundering kind of yes. questions. So it'll sure. definitely be a different interview. And if we make you uncomfortable, just tell us to just say, listen, calm down. <laughs> Give us this. I Give will. Give us this time. <laughs> I wonder how many people know what Gakiron means, though. Listen, this is why we're here together. We don't want to talk to anybody else. Half the actors, we even play these parts, they don't know what a kiakiaron is. Right. I heard that all my life. You, you too, I assume. Oh, yeah. I grew up in, uh, like as a little kid crawling around the floor at Rayo's. Oh, um, I remember crawling around on the floor and seeing all the guns strapped under the tables. And I was like, oh, well, what is this? Mm -hmm. um, so my world crossed into that because of my mom's dad, who was this guy named Joe Babes. Um, he ran with like Trigger Mike and all of these kind of guys. And he died young. But they called him Joe Babes because he was involved in a shooting over Dutch Schultz with, uh, where a baby was shot. Oh, my God. So they called him Joe Babes. But my mom always told me they called him Joe Babes because he was a womanizer. Um, well, he was a womanizer, too, but that wasn't where his name came from. And he was a big um, heroin wholesaler, which is no bueno in no our bueno. world. So anyway, that's my backstory. And um, we are really excited to have you yes, here. Yes, we are. And um, let's get into it, right? Yes. Some questions. Where were you yeah. born and raised? Since where was I born time. and raised? Yeah. In where Brooklyn, Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Williamsburg uh, section, and lived there mm -hmm. for, you know, a good many years, and then we moved out to Long Island. My, mm -hmm. uh, my dad didn't want to move, but my mom uh, kind of wore the pants with respect to where we lived, so we moved out of there. I was about 10 years old. Now, am I allowed to ask this question? Because, I, I mean, it's out there in the world, but I don't want to, obviously don't ever want to make anybody uncomfortable because I know these aren't the questions that the dudes ask you when you're interviewing. The story with your mom mm -hmm. um, and Frank Grillo and then your dad, Sonny. Um, I have a similar story to that with my dad. A lot of his kids are coming out of the woodwork now that he's, <laughs> that he's passed. So I have all these new brothers. Um, <laughs> and the same thing on my mother's side, because my, my mom's dad was a, was a, was a, was a made guy. But, um, what was that like when you were young? When did you find out that, um, that Grillo wasn't your dad? That, is that the story? Can you tell us the story? It, it's a little different than that. You know, the only father that I really knew was my father, Sonny Francis. Sonny. Mm -hmm. And just going back. My father met my mom when she was 16 years old. He was 17 years older than her. She was a, a hat check girl over at the store club. I'm sure you, you remember that, but yeah. you certainly know the name. And uh, he used to frequent there. You know, it was, it was pretty much of a mob hangout for, for quite a while. And um, they fell in love. My father was married at the time, and he had three children from that marriage. So, um, and back then, I don't know if you know this, Drea, but back in my father's day in the forties and fifties, you weren't allowed to get a divorce if you were in that life. Couldn't get a oh, divorce. I know. You know <laughs> that. So, yeah. um, yeah, my dad stuck it out, but he had this affair relationship with my mother. And, um, then my mother somewhat, I heard got disgusted and she married another guy, Frank Grillo. And somewhere in that time, I was born. Okay. Now, um, and then a few years later, from what I understand, my 
my dad, Sonny's first wife, ran off, just took off and left him with the three kids. At that point in time, he was allowed to get a divorce. He went to the boss at that time and they said, okay, under these circumstances, you can divorce her. So he divorces her and marries my mother. And I'm already there. So the only, and this was like, I was three, four years old. So I didn't know anyone else. Yeah, I was a baby. I didn't know anyone else. And, um, but I had the name Grillo for a while. And then my father changed that name. Then he legally adopted me. And he was the only father that I knew. So, um, but I only, I always was told that Frank Grillo was my real dad. So that's who I believe, but I, you know, I never met him. I never seen him. You know, I really didn't know who he was. But then what happens, this was very strange. A couple of things happened. I was working at a place by uh, Kennedy Airport Rockaway, on Rockaway Boulevard. It was called a Big Bow. It was a restaurant. A friend of, of ours owned it. And this guy walks in that day, and he's kind of staring at me, and I'm staring at him. And something happened between us. I realized later that that was Frank Grillo. It was him. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. No. We never said anything to each other. We never said anything wow. to me. I actually served him something, took his money from the register. Boy, the <gasps> oh, yeah, my, me too. Oh. That kind of connection. Uh, and that wow. was the end of that. But I did find out later that was him later on. But, you know, then something crazy. I go through my whole life and Sonny is my father and that's the only father I knew and so on and so forth. And then I write this book called Quitting the Mob. I actually wrote it with a co-author co- uh, way mm-hmm. back in the uh, early 90s. And the author interviews my mother, and my mother tells him a story that she never told me or never told anybody else. And she <laughs> said, you know, that I was really Sonny's child. That back in that day, when she got pregnant, my grandmother was extremely upset. She married oh. Grillo just so that you know, you couldn't have a baby out of wedlock back then. Oh. It was embarrassing. Oh, no. Wait, we oh. argued about this, and we're we were both kind of right. <laughs> yes, <We're all> right. <laughs> okay. So you know, she says, and I'm really Sonny's son. And I called her up, and I said, you know, Ma, it's nice that I have to find this out in the afterward of my own book. I said, all these years later. And she said, well, what's the difference? Is it the only father you know? I said, well, there is kind of a difference, Mom. You know, yeah. let me know something like that. But uh, I never did anything about it. And as far as I was concerned, you know, Sonny was my dad. and I loved him. And uh, I know that Frank, uh, they called him Chubby. He died in 1975. He died young. He was like yeah. 44 years old, I believe. So that's that's really the story. I mean, he was the only father I really knew. Wow. I know it's crazy and it's kind of unbelievable, but that's that's the way it played out. Yeah. Oh, I have stories just like that in my family. So I I feel like I'm listening to one of my family members right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it must be an Italian thing, Dre. I don't know. Oh my god. My um my great grandmother was the only um abortionist in the fifties in Harlem. And she was, she really, she was a midwife, but she ended up and, and the, and the, the maid men did not like her because to them, this was murder. Sure. Um, but then again, she had more dirt on everyone from Washington to the mob because they were coming to her for, you know, if, if they were caught with their pants down sort of thing. So she was yeah, helping all these people, yeah. but she had information and gossip on everyone. So she became almost, in her own way, a made woman in the neighborhood. And eventually the mafiosos like Trigger Mike and all these guys, they were coming to her because they needed her help. But what she would do a lot was she would bring these women out to Jersey and Long Branch 
and bring them to full, um, you know, she would have them give birth. She would rather save their babies. And then she would place them all around the neighborhood and no one knew whose kid oh was whose. Oh my God. Um, so that was happening in, in East Harlem back in their days. But anyway, that's, that's just mm. me trying to, to relate little things here and yeah. there to, to, to my well, little connection cool. to that world. Yeah. I want to hear. I want to hear more about your dad, Sonny. I'm yes. sorry for your loss, by the way. I know yeah. that he passed not too Thank long you. ago. Thank you. Yeah, 103. Well, 103 years old. I mean, My you know, he, he obviously had a very strong will to live. You know, I, I'll tell you. I try to sum it up. You know, for my dad. My mom yeah. died in 2012, and dad mm -hmm. was in prison as usual. So I go visit him. We tried to get him out to come to the funeral, but we, you know, we offered to pay the marshals the whole bit, but they yeah. wouldn't allow it. So I go and see him afterwards, and they gave me a special visit in the attorney's room to talk to him about my mom passing away. And I go in there, and you got to understand, I don't think I've ever seen my dad depressed, ever. No matter what he went through, you know, just yeah. never depressed. But that day, he was really down, really down. And I said, Dad, what, what's up? He says, ah, what do I got to live for? He said, you know, I spent the half of my life in prison. I lost my daughter, my son. Now my wife is dead. We're married all these years. He went on and on and on and on. He said, I got nothing more to live for. So I looked at him and I said, hey, what are you getting weak on me? He said, what? And I right away perked up. Yeah. I said, let me remind you of something. I said, dad, we're in Judge Mishler's courtroom. Okay, in April of 1970, uh, 1967, Mishler looked at you and he just sentenced you to 50 years in prison. Now, I remember I was sitting right behind on the first row with my mother and he looked at my dad and he said, Mr. Francis, you want to address the court? You got anything to say? And he said, yeah, Your Honor, I'm going to I'm going to show you and everybody else. I'm going to do the whole 50. That's what he told it. That was his response, right. Yes. So oh when I said that to my dad, he looked at me and he goes, damn right. He says, I ain't dying till 2017. He said, I, I even made, keep my word to that rat judge. That's exactly what attraction, man. He you know did it. He, he left that prison exactly 50 years later. He did oh the whole God. thing. What a to tough life. What a tough life and, for uh, you. You know, that sums mm -hmm. up my dad, you know. And uh, I, I tell you, too, there was a time when I thought he, he was going to live to 110. You know what wow. I believe, Andrea, honestly? He died in February. He had gotten pneumonia twice and beat it. In February, we didn't know too much about this COVID-19 thing. Yeah, and I was this, thinking but, about that for you. Yeah, within 10 days, he just, it was He's over. Gone. And yeah. I didn't think about it until afterwards. And I said, wow, I wonder if that's what really got him. You know, he was in a, in a home at that time, a veteran's hospital, because he, he needed care, uh, you know, 24-7. But of course. Uh, I'm still thinking that it might have been COVID. Can't say yeah, that. I thought that when I saw the date of his uh, of his passing, I was like, "Wow, I wouldn't be surprised." Mm -hmm. Yeah, because this thing has been past. around. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, I've I've obviously read a lot about your dad, also because I, I read about all of this stuff all the time. So mm -hmm. I, I'm I'm not going to bombard you with with those sorts of things, especially since your dad just passed. I don't want to I don't yeah. want to torture you <laughs> with no, it's okay. I, I with mean, all I, that. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, so back to you being at med school. Yes. You're like a regular Michael Corleone here, right? <laughs> well, I would you say know, a little bit more intelligent. Me, you think you're like Michael Corleone. I used to tease him. I said, wait a second. 
Michael Corleone was fictional. I'm the real thing. So maybe I know. better not me. Exactly. But uh, did, you, did you did you like having um your your cameo, even though it wasn't you, and they didn't pick a guy half as good looking as you in Goodfellas? Oh. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's funny. I, I don't know why they stuck me in there. I mean, I knew Henry and I knew Jimmy Burke pretty well, but you know, it was a whole different crew. But I guess, you know, at that time I had some name value, so they put me in the movie. Yeah, I was surprised. I mean, I, I had no idea. You know, I'll tell you a funny story. My wife, you know, she deals with this a lot differently than you might expect. Up until really recently, she never read any of my books. If a, a movie or a documentary came on that I was involved in, she would turn it off. She never asked me any questions. She didn't want to know anything. She said, look, I lived through enough. Eight years in prison, all the stuff we went through. I don't need to know all of that, you know. Um, so Goodfellas comes out and I had just come out of jail. And I said to her, honey, let's go see that movie. You know, a little nostalgia. I knew some of those guys. And she says, okay. So we go to the theater and uh, I, I love popcorn, right? I get my popcorn. And to, <laughs> to me, the movie experiences, I, I like everything happening at one time. So we're watching the movie and you know how it starts off. It's pretty graphic. And I'm saying, man, I think I made a mistake, you know, bringing up here. <laughs> Wrong, Wrong companion. Life. Yeah. So, you know, at one point she looks at me. And she says, is this what your life really was about? I mean, is this, is this what yeah. you did? And I said, honey, come on. This is a movie. It's Hollywood. They make things up. Don't believe what you said. Just enjoy the movie. No sooner I say that, then that scene comes on. And <laughs> there's Michael Francis. And she looks at me and says, come on, honey, let's go. And we got oh, up. Oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know what oh else they God. were going to do. But, uh, yeah, it, it was kind of surprising. I didn't expect to see myself in that. <laughs> did she end up watching the whole movie all the way through no, another time? Did. She's never seen that movie. Amazing. Never seen How long have you guys been together? We, we were married 35 years this oh month. Oh, my God. Oh, that's awesome. Amazing. Nice. Yeah, so she's been through it. She's definitely been through it. Well, let, let me tell you something. I, I'm not going to comment on uh, the Mob Wives, that old television show. We're not going to oh. comment on that. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of women out that know the real story and what it's re really about. And uh, she's one of them. So... Oh, wow. As wow. are you. I'm sure you know. Well, we, we're actually, I mean, as much as we're interested in your story, you know, us two, Kiak Yadons, are also interested in, in her, her story, story. if she ever have... wants to come on. Because yes. we're going to be doing a lot of female gangster things, not just women that were in, that that played a part in the mob, but also um, mm -hmm. just women that have, that have sort of overcome tragedy. I've been doing all this kind of research on, you're, you're going to laugh at me probably, on the drangheta so there's all these women that have been like, um, and also just Trigger Mike and his story, which is such a morbid story. Yeah. Um, and we'll ask you those questions later, just because Adriana got killed. Um, we might have to ask you some questions that relate to females in, in, in that world, obviously. Well, you know, I have to tell you, you know, people ask me all the time about, you know, the mob life and as you probably know, I speak with a lot of youth and I do a lot of ministry stuff with young kids and gangbangers and all of that. Amazing. And you know what I tell them? I said, look, the mob life, the gang life, I said, they're in many ways, they're evil lifestyles. And I want to be clear on this. I'm not calling the guys evil. I was one of them. I just happened to be very fortunate. And we did what we did during that time. But the lifestyle is evil because I don't know any family of any member of that life that hasn't been totally destroyed. In many ways, my yeah. own family, not not my wife and kids, but, you know, my mother, 33 years without a husband, you know, at the end of her relationship with my dad, 
I can only describe it as ugly because she blamed him for everything that went wrong in that life. Oh I had a God, sister that yeah. died of an overdose of drugs. My brother was a oh. drug addict for most of his life, became an informant, you know, against my dad. Oh, I was going to ask you about that too. Yeah. Yeah. My other sister died young of uh, cancer and, you know, the family was <sighs> devastated. And so many of my friends in that life, their families went through so much. So, you know, look, it's true that the life is glamorized at times. And I'll be the first one to admit that there were times I led a pretty glamorous life during my time in that life. But at the end of the day, you know, people suffer and, uh, you know, all my friends are gone. They're either dead or in prison for the rest of their lives. So the way the government came down on us in the early 80s, mid 80s, with their racketeering laws and the Bail Reform Act, the Sentencing Reform Act, I mean, they did a lot of destruction to that life and to families. So the women really tell the stories because they live yeah. through it. They live through yeah. it. My wife, you know, she has a different perspective on it and she's terrific because, you know, by, for some reason she stuck with me through, through <laughs> a lot of stuff that I went through. It wasn't easy walking away from that life. And, uh, you know, uh, she, she hung in there and that's, that's pretty special. How long you said you were, were you in prison? Did you say you were in prison for how long were you in prison for? I did eight, eight, years. I did eight years. How yeah, did I you did. manage that? How did you manage eight years when, you know, all of the, the whole Rico, um, I mean, were, were, were you a part of the whole, well, Giuliani, the Giuliani thing was probably even before your time, right? No, Giuliani, uh, no. I was... No, but, but the big Giuliani busts, were they before your time or was it at the same time? You mean the mob commission case? Yeah, when he just went, you know, he was no, trying to get his stripes. No, that was, uh, as a matter of fact, he indicted me on a big racketeering case in 84. Oh, yeah, and I was a lead defendant and uh, I had 15 co-defendants on trial for several months. It was a big racketeering case. I was acquitted in that case. Uh, Rudy told me in the courtroom, he said, Francis, if I convict you on this case, you're going to get double what your father got. I'm giving you 100 years. And oh that's the God. kind of time they were giving mob guys during that time. Always. And, uh, and you, you know, with eight. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy. Guys were getting 100 years, triple life, 300 Jesus. years. And I said, man, if I go down on this, I'm one of the youngest guys here. They're going to give me a half a million years. It's, it's and, crazy. If your and, and with your father living till 103, forget about it. You That's right. <laughs> they, they I might have to spend to... 100 years. So who knows? Forget about it. <laughs> so they but, sentenced uh, you to yeah, 10, I beat that right? Case, mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, that, was mm -hmm. my, that was my fifth indictment, my fifth trial. Mm -hmm. And then they indicted me again in the Eastern District of New York on another racketeering case. And, and Dre, I'll tell you this. Uh, Giuliani actually saved me in many ways. He doesn't realize it, but what happened was... The I got chills again. Why? No one says that about Giuliani, by the way. <laughs> well, he doesn't realize he saved me, and he didn't want to, but it turned out that way. I'll tell you why. How awesome is Michael Frenzies? Oh, my God, amazing. But now it's time for a word from our sponsors. Chris, take it away. Tell us about HelloFresh. Oh, my God. I love them. I didn't even know anything about them before they supported our show, which is awesome. Um, they come to your door. They have these packed. Everything is neatly packed in these little paper bags. So each meal is already done for you. You just dump it out on the counter, and you have all these little packs, and you have the recipe, and it's done. The and cleanup the is easy. Is amazing. Yeah. I mean, the best meats, the best produce. I'm, I can't believe that I never knew about this. I mean, 
It's America's number one meal, meal kit. kit. Yes, I mean, I get it now mm. a thousand percent. Your kids like to cook it, right? My kids love to cook it. And let me tell you, I've been looking for something like an, an activity for them. You can't go out. You can't go bowling. You can do it. So now we cook. Like my daughter literally said to me, can this be a thing that we do really every cute. night? So I, regardless of them sponsoring the show or not, I am in and I am ordering. Um, you can get what? $80 off? $80 off. Yeah. Well, I hope we can use that code too because <laughs> I'm a lifer. I'm a HelloFresh lifer. And you're doing the vegetarian chicken one and I did the meat one. <clears throat> well, I'm not, it's like, it's not a vegetarian, but it's a low cow and it comes with Chicken and fish and veggies and I mean, the, you had babimbap the other it night. Was that's one of my favorite dishes. Eggs I don't even know it. how to make that. I'm learning so much with all these recipes, and the kids are too. And now it's like change. we've all been stuck home for so long eating the same things, our favorite recipes, but it gets boring. And now we have we have options. It's things that we didn't know how to cook. Yeah, I like putting the kids in the kitchen yeah. with the HelloFresh recipe and the food and saying, see you later. Bye. See you at dinner time. Just let me know when dinner is, yeah. dinner is ready, okay? Don't burn the house down. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I mean, this is also perfect coronavirus um, remedies because yeah. it's delivered to your house. They, you know, they don't, you don't have to see anybody. You don't have to go to the grocery store. No. And then when you're done eating, you can go visit our other sponsors upstairs in the toilet. Tushy. I love Tushy. Oh my God. Oh my God. Can you get a little more excited? Please? Ex yeah. I mean, wait till you sit. On wait, wait, look at me. It's mine. Wait till you sit on that toilet bowl. Wait till you, and you tell me. I love it. Wait, you tell it's me. It's my new favorite You don't thing. get excited when At you're on first, the Tushy bowl. When you told me. Hold on. That, that, look at that. that it was going to spray cold water on my butthole. I was very nervous. Or your vagina. Oh, it is the greatest feeling I like ever. It. I use it every time I pee. Forget about going to poop or something. I do too. I totally do. I use it every time I pee. <laughs> it's my Wait, favorite thing. I like to call tushy freshy because you get a freshy vagina and a freshy butthole after. I like don't know that? if they want you to call I'm gonna call freshy. I think they want to be called tushy. We're gonna call and it's it takes the place of an annoying giant bidet next to your toilet, which we used to have growing up that we ended up just storing creams in. That's um, weird. But I'll tell you what, totally I love my bidet. I love well, it. Now you got the now you got yep. the tushy that's affordable for everyone. Seventy nine bucks, and it looks cool. Yeah, it's cool. It's seamless. And the towels that it comes with, and the toilet paper, the bamboo, their whole packaging, by the way, is amazing. Is super awesome. Yeah, um, yeah. And I like their I like their ad campaigns and stuff. Like so they cute. say something like, "Have you had enough of those douchebags?" <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, well, I yeah. love it. Yeah. Men and women, it's great for No. Oh, my God. Okay, let's go. We're done okay. with this. Let's get anyway, back to Michael Frenzy. I love Frenzy. my tushy. I love my tushy.com. I love my tushy. And um, you can get a discount if you- I love your tushy. I, we're known for our tushies, by the way. So keeping them fresh and clean. Get up. Let's see it's your tushy. Let me smack that tushy. Let's see that tushy. Come on. Let's see your tushy. Nope. Come, come on. No, let's go. Do I'm your whole sorry. call to action. I fell let's in love with this. you because of your tushy. Let's go. And the mouth. Do it. Do it. <laughs> so where are we going to get it? Um, 10% off? What? Oh, yes. I, I must look at my, my piece of paper here. Go to hellotushy.com slash goddess. Oh, I love it. HelloTushy.com slash goddess. How much do we get off? Do you know? Oh, 10%? 10%. Yeah. 10% I was off. right. I remembered. Amazing. For someone who's 180 years old. For a clean tush, go to Tushy. Get mm -hmm. your 10% off. You're not going to show anybody your Tushy? Nope. 
They'll have to wait. I want to see that ass. No. That ass. No. I'm going to smack it when you get up. Oh, Jesus. Let's get back to Michael Francis. Please. <laughs> um, you know, I was involved in a whole gas tax scheme and all yes. of that. Yes. Which and I want you to tell us, tell our, our listeners about, sure. you know, we when you have a second. <laughs> my, my partner, the guy that constructed uh, the whole scam with me, a turned informant. And oh, he did. He did. So when they, and he was in Panama hiding in your compound. He was in Panama hiding, and the feds went in there and kidnapped him because there was no extradition yeah. from Panama. They went in there in the middle of the night, kidnapped him, brought him to Florida. It's an unbelievable mm-hmm. story. And once he got there, he became an informant. So they were saving him in the Eastern District to testify against me about all this gas stuff. And when Giuliani found out about him, I was on trial at that time in, in Manhattan. And when Giuliani found out, he wanted that witness in his case. So you know how government goes. They fight with one another. The Eastern District and the Southern District were fighting over producing him at that trial. Giuliani wins. And Iarizzo comes and testifies against me in the Giuliani case. I get acquitted. The jury didn't believe him. So now I had leverage for the second case because we already destroyed their principal witness against me. And that's how I was able to negotiate a plea. And believe me, when I got 10 years, it was like guys were congratulating me. Michael, don't even take your I shoes mean. off. 10 years was like, <laughs> You're good. Yeah, it's I mean, a nap. It was the it's best a nap. Thing take a nap. Happened. Go work out. Yeah. You don't like to take your shoes off. <laughs> Get in shape. And, you know, be <laughs> home before you know it. And then I got a $15 yeah. million dollar fine and restitution. They said, I don't worry. You can afford that. Just... You know, exactly. do it for years in your home. So it was it was huge. And the fact that I got acquitted in that Giuliani case gave me all the leverage with the government on the next case. Wow. Because wow. I, had, I had beaten them five times. They didn't want another loss. That I know. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. So so you weren't, you didn't, I mean, what a Time Magazine said, if he holds to what he has promised, it will mark the first time that a high-ranking member of the mafia will publicly walk away from his past. And you walk away unscathed. How... I mean, do, are you not looking over your back like the final scene of The Sopranos um, all the time? Or Well, let, let me let me try <laughs> to explain it. I mean, there's a practical reason for that. You know, I'm a person of faith, so there's a faith-based reason. But the practical reason is this. Um, when I did walk away, I had a lot of trouble. I mean, my former boss, Persico, was extremely upset with me because he took it very personal. Uh, his son, Ali Boy, was my Gumbada. He baptized my oldest boy. So, I mean, we, we were very close, and he really was upset. Had he been on the street, Drea, I might have had a lot more trouble because he was, you know, he was an, an old-timer, and mm-hmm. he was a pretty treacherous guy. I had to watch out for Junior. Even though I loved him, and I know he liked me at one point, I knew that when I crossed that line, I'd have trouble. Um, but here's what happened. You know, the government was playing me dirty. They were trying to get me to cooperate. They were putting my name on the witness list of trials that were going on in New York to try to put heat on me to get me to cooperate. Uh, But then these trials kept coming up and I never showed up. I never appeared. Then uh, I do my five years. I'm out on parole. I was basically dodging bullets during the parole time. Then I violate my parole. I go back in. So now people are saying this guy isn't going to testify, but he's not supposed to walk away anyway. So now the heat is off me in that regard because people are saying, all right, he's not hurting anybody. That was never my intention. Uh, and then what happens? Everybody's got their own troubles. Everybody that I know was indicted for racketeering, who went to jail, who had this yeah. to worry about. So I move out to California. I could have never made it in New York. There's no way I would have I survived. 
I move out to California. I change my entire lifestyle. What do I mean by that? Look, one of the one of those horrors of that life, you make a mistake, your best friend walks you into a room, you don't walk out again. You're done. Obviously, you know, I spent a lot of years in that life and I'm, I'm well aware of that situation. So what I said to myself, hey, they're going to get me. They're not walking me into a room. They're going to have to work to get me. So I move across <laughs> country. I change my whole lifestyle, meaning I don't create patterns in my life. I don't walk my dog every morning at 7 a.m. I don't go to the same restaurant every Tuesday night. I stay wow. out of clubs. Bad place for me. I know who hangs out in those guys, in those places. I'm pretty well known. Somebody makes a call to New York. I walk out in a parking lot. Boom, I'm gone. So I was very disciplined because I had a lot of experience. I knew exactly what the guys would do, what they wouldn't do. And remember, it's one thing to walk a guy into a room. It's another thing to send a hit squad across the country, try to kill somebody and then get away with it. You know, somebody that's aware of what's going on. So, you know, and then I just outlasted everybody. I mean, everybody I know is gone. So the new guys, <laughs> yeah. they don't have the axe to grind with me. I'll be honest with you. I can't go back to Brooklyn and say, hey, guys, I'm moving <laughs> back into the neighborhood. I mean, that yeah. wouldn't very, be very smart. But, you know, <laughs> I believe in God. He, he doesn't tell you to be stupid. You got to use your head. So, okay. you know, that, that's basically the story. Um, I've just been very, very fortunate. It just, um, you know, I didn't know how it was going to work out. There's no blueprint for walking away from that life. But I just knew one thing. I wasn't out to hurt anybody, Drea, and they, they couldn't convince me to do that. And I had even told my dad when I was in prison, I said, Dad, you're not going to like what I'm doing, but I got to preserve my, my family and my life. I said, I just married this young girl. She's 21 years old. What am I going to do, mm -hmm. marry her and go to jail for the rest of my life? We already had a child. I said, I, this life is in trouble, man. I said, they're putting guys away forever. Guys are becoming informants left and right. Guys that I did business with for 30 years were informants yeah. that we didn't know about. So in the 80s, it just all fell apart. It just all fell apart, you know, and guys guys just weren't prepared for it. I mean, it was devastating. There's no doubt about it. And I, I just wanted the fortunate ones. That's all I could say. Where did you, it, did you find God? When did you find your faith? Well, you know, uh, my wife was a very strong believer. My mother-in-law, very strong believer. It's amazing, you know, two mm -hmm. people that had, the most dynamic influence on my life, other than my dad, were really my, my wife and her mother. Mm -hmm. Very, very strong in their faith. And they had a major impact on me. And, and um, you know, initially I wasn't buying into it. But when I got, after I got out of prison, I was on parole for 13 months, violated my parole, went back in. And uh, they put me in a hole. And they told me I would never see the street again. Feds were really upset with me because I wouldn't cooperate. And they said, you're going to spend the rest of your life here. We got new witnesses. We're bringing up new stuff. And, you know, they threatened murder and all this kind of stuff on me. And, you know, it was it was that first night in solitary. And I was no stranger to prison. I visited my dad my whole life. I was in already five years. I was arrested 17, 18 times. So I was no stranger to that. Mm -hmm. But it was the first night that I really felt that my life is over. Everything that's dear to me is gone. I have no hope. I don't know how to get out of this mess I put myself in. And it was uh, it was a bad night. I'll be honest with you. And it was it was that night, you know, a prison guard just happened. To, <laughs> he came to my cell and he says, Francis, you OK? You don't look good. And I said, get away from me, man. I don't don't bother me. I don't want to see any of you guys tonight. He came back and slipped the Bible in the slot of the door. Oh, wow. And uh, yeah. it just started from that point on. And I was in lockdown for almost three years. They had me in a hole. Oh, really? 
Yeah, it was wow. actually 20, 29 months and seven days. You, you count those days. You had your dark night of the soul for uh, a quite some time there. Yeah. yeah. In, in, in the hole. Well, Joy, I'll tell you something. You know, I'm, uh, you, you know, I'm not going to make any bones about it. That's tough. Being, we, we were not meant to be solo creatures. We were meant to be solo. No, no. look at us now. Yeah. And, oh, we're uh, Italians. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we're Italians on top of it. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, you know, I know a lot of guys did not do well in that situation. Those lights go out at night. You hear a lot of stuff going on. And I don't know. I mean, I, I you know, maybe I, I, I got some of my father's strength in that regard. But uh, uh, I just had a great will to get out of there. I was very motivated. My faith played a major role in it during that time. And, uh, yeah. you know, we just got through it. You were raised Catholic, probably, just like the rest of us, right? Of course. I was an altar boy the whole day. <laughs> yeah. And then you chose you chose Christian Christianity after that. I, I'm one of these um, multi, um, what would they, I guess you'd call it, an omnist to a degree. But, I, you know, Jesus Christ is still, yeah. you know, that's what I was raised with myself, yeah. Catholic schoolgirl, the whole thing. But I don't, I don't really go with the catholic church necessarily but um my dad was catholic mom's christian and my mom was born again christian so no. i had like the dual it, by the way it was always a fight in my house what church you know my dad is it was a whole thing so you were right. obviously raised christian yeah no i was raised catholic oh, Catholic. Um, Sorry. Yeah, yeah. My, parent, my parents weren't religious i don't ever remember going to church with them unless it was a funeral or a wedding <laughs> um it was just me my, they put me in Catholic school because they thought at that time you get a better education in Catholic school than you did in a public school. That's that's really what it was all about. I went to Catholic school from kindergarten right through high school. So, me too. Yeah, it was, uh, it was an experience. I, I, I watched a video of you uh, preaching at the Oasis Church. I've been there Oasis, before. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, out here. Pastor yeah. Philip, do you go there? I've gone a couple, you know, when my mom comes out, I'm definitely going. And now I'm not, I'm not going because we're in quarantine, but... Here and yeah. there. Philip Wagner was the, uh, I think oh, he's yeah. just, yeah, he, he's a great friend of mine, uh, Philip and Holly, and a uh, great guy, really great people. Yeah, it's a great church. Okay, so let, let me tell you the quick soprano story. All yes, right? I oh, want to yes. hear this. This is David oh, Chase. I, I've yes. heard you talk about this, so I'm dying to hear about it. Go. <laughs> Here's the deal. I, I'm out on parole, and Howard Baldwin, I don't know if you know how it is, but he's a producer. He did a bunch of things. He used to own the Pittsburgh Penguins, the, the hockey team. He was a really good friend of mine. So when I get out on parole, he was over at Universal Studios. He had an office there. And he said to me, Michael, come to my office. I want to keep you out of trouble. Don't go anywhere. Stay in here and read scripts. I said to Howard, he said, no, I'll give you mob scripts. Read them for me. I said, okay. So I'm sitting there. We were right next to Steven Spielberg's uh, place there. And I'm, I'm there every day reading scripts. I get a call from Jack Gilardi. I don't know if you know Jack. Was the agent with ICM? I know that name. Yeah, he was a dear friend of mine. I just passed away last year. And uh, he says, Mike, uh, some guy, I think his name is David Chase, called. And uh, they're doing a show for Fox. And uh, he wants you to be a consultant on it. And I said, really? I said, what's the show about? And he kind of told me a New Jersey family, so on and so forth. So I said, all right, let me think about it. And then I talked to Howard. And Howard says, come on, Mike, that's a conflict in what you're doing. You just got out of prison. You don't need any more, you know, no. uh, focus on you. I said, yeah, Howard, you're right. And I let it go, right? So now, you know, that's how stupid I was, really. I should have got involved. But anyway, uh, 
You would have had fun. You wouldn't have had to say anything. Everybody was behind the curtains. <laughs> it would have been fun. But anyway, uh, so now Fox doesn't take it. HBO does. And I watched the first season. And I see Tony's mother. Wasn't it Olivia? Was Olivia. Yes. And I'm looking at her and I'm saying, my God, this reminds me so much of my mother, this character. Oh, poor you, now I'm Michael. Thinking, <laughs> oh, my God. Now, oh, my mother was, listen, I love her, charming, sweet, Tough. but she was manipulative. And I'm telling you. Oh, yeah. So now I'm saying, okay, why did David call me? And then I'm thinking, Drea, listen to this. Now, my, I might be totally off base, might be a coincidence, maybe nothing to it at all. I have no proof of nothing, but it's, it's striking. When my house was built in 1960, they put a bug in the kitchen of the house, right? And um, for about a year, that bug was active. And it got a lot of stuff between my mom and my dad and all this kind of stuff. And I'm saying, I wonder if David, in his research, got a hold of these this, uh, you know, tapes because they were public and he patterned this woman on my mother. And maybe that's why he called me. Now, I kept, I kept thinking more and more. Now, I might have talked myself into it. You've talked to David and maybe no truth to that at all. But oh I said, how did he nail my mother in this character? It was unbelievable. So anyway, I, I thought the same thing about my grandmother. I said, oh, my God, it's my grandmother. <laughs> I have um, an answer. I yeah, I mean, the, the, yeah. but there, it's, it's a kind of a rare um matriarch in the mm -hmm. Italian life. Don't you yeah. agree? It's, oh, yeah. it's a rare prototype because <laughs> they're usually, you know, you're the prince, you're everything, the male, the male child. So I, at first with the, with that, with the Sopranos, um, I had a hard time even, even uh, relating to that. But then I, my mother looked at me and she goes, but that's my mother, Dre. That's what my mother was like. And it's true that they, they were very similar. Um, but Man, that would have been cool if you were consulting. I think they ended up having mostly um, like ex-FBI or ex-cops or stuff like that consulting more. I think Frank Renzulli, one of the writers, he had a lot of good information, but um, I don't know who ended up consulting. I, you know, I was a kid back then, so to me, I was still focused on things like walking through the back room of the COPA. You know, we were busy, like like you. I'm I'm referencing you here. Yeah. The walk we were walking through the back rooms of every place. I mean, we really thought we were in the mob, you know, or the Beatles. We, we couldn't figure out <laughs> who we were right, right. When, when the show got popular. So yeah, I don't remember who was doing all that, but I love that story, and I I, yeah. I, I remember hearing that. And Christina, um, I have to say, every time I mention your name, because my mother's name was Christina. Oh. Okay. And my daughter and my sister. So that's a name that's very dear to me. So you got it. <laughs> how, how many girls do you have? I have five daughters. Do you have any sons? I have two boys. I have seven. Wow. God yeah. bless you. Wait, weren't you, you. Are, don't God you have seven? You. Aren't you one of seven siblings? Too? I'm one of seven. My wife is one of so seven. Let, let, me, let me blow you. That's your, your lucky number. I'm one of seven. Yeah. My wife's one of seven. I have seven. Her father, my wife's That's father, is one of 23, 23, Wait. and my father's mm -hmm. one of 19. Oh, my gosh. So we could never really have a family gathering without having, you know, a, a, a huge hall or something. It's crazy. That's how we were, too. Every party was at least 500 deep, like for a big party, you know, like a wedding. Yeah, my father's yes. one of seven, too, so Yeah, I my dad's one, one of six, one of, se one of six. And yeah. we only have two kids each, so. Yeah, we stopped. You have two each. I mean, two. I have two, and she has two. Yeah. Boys, I girl. wasn't. I, I, both. We both have each a boy and a girl. Well, that's great. That's jackpot time when you get one yeah. of each. Then that's why you finish. You're like, I have one boy, one girl. I'm done. 
If we would if I would have started earlier, I would have been I would have had a family of six. I regret that I didn't, but I was really trying to follow in my mom's footsteps of you need a career first. Don't don't mm-hmm. you know you don't want to be a housewife yet. You don't want to be and you know what? I could have done it all. You know, I, I I definitely went for what she asked for because she tried to fight against the Italian stereotype in her day because she grew up with her dad beating up her mother and cheating mm. and you know there was you know all kinds of he wasn't yeah. one of the best guys um even within his rank and stuff he was still not the best man at home either so she really fought against it and became she wanted to become an actress he said now ah, only putanas become actresses so she, he ended she ended up becoming a writer um, and she only write she only wrote really about the mafia and her experience with her with her father and her mother and and what her mother went through and what she went through. So it was um, it's I like the I, I like the whole female perspective on everything. So which is why know, we need my, your my wife. wife the same way with our daughter. Mm-hmm. She teaches them to be independent and it's great. You know, it doesn't discourage them obviously from having a family, but. She likes, you know, them having their independence. And all my daughters are very strong, very, very strong. Um, what ages are I they? I appreciate that. What's that? How old are your kids? Uh, they range from 21 to 41. Now, I was married once before for a short time. I had two girls and a boy from that marriage. And then we have four, three girls and a, and a boy. But they're all very close, you know. Oh, thank God great. for that. They're all close. But mm-hmm. my daughters are all strong. As a matter of fact, I don't like saying this, but I, I think my daughters are stronger than my boys, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My dad would always say that, too. I kind of feel the same about my kids. You yeah, know, my, my daughter's the boss. My daughter's she's younger the than I have, she's my, well, an older my brother. My one daughter, Amanda, um, she graduated from, they all, all the girls graduated name. college, you know, and she, um, uh, except for one who's now going to be an actress and she's a dancer. She was just on World of Dance. Uh, oh, last, my God. Oh, love yeah, J-Lo. Yeah. Yeah, with J-Lo. My daughter, Julia, is an amazing, you know, actress, the whole bit. But anyway, um, what was I saying? Oh, my daughter, Amanda, she graduates from San Diego State, criminal justice major. Mm -hmm. She wanted to be a lawyer, tried to discourage her from that. I said, (laughs) the the advice I can give you, if you're a criminal lawyer, make sure you get paid up front. Because if you lose the case, you don't get paid. That's it. That was the best advice I gave her. But anyhow, at one time she comes to me, she's dad, I want to be a cop. I said, what? She said, yeah, I want to be on a police force. And you, you, my daughter, you cannot change this her is, mind. She this is, is going your, to yes. mind. That's it. This is your penance. So, this is your penance. Yeah, so I said, and the, I tried to talk her out of it. She says, why? I said, Dad, don't you understand the irony in all of this? I mean, I don't want <laughs> you to be great. a great. Anyway, she's, she's going to be a cop. So oh, I called she a really friend is. of mine. Well, no, I call a friend of mine. He's the <laughs> second in command of Beverly Hills Police Department. And I said, look, I can't change my daughter's mind, so you got to watch her throughout all of this. But anyway, uh, she ended up getting married and having a child. And fortunately, she was on the waiting list. She passed every test with flying color, ready to go in three different police departments. Then she got married and um, she had a little boy who is autistic. So she decided to spend all her time with him and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Getting married and having a kid, she she still gets to be a cop, basically. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I feel like I'm a cop, you know. That's true. But yeah, my daughters are all very, very strong, every one of them. Amazing. 
I mean, how does this life compared to living? I mean, I know you want to get into it with the episode. Well, yeah, just the regularness of yeah. life. The Sopranos always attacks this theme on the show. It doesn't glorify it like, you know, something beautiful like The Godfather, which I know that I've heard you say that that um Joe that Joe Colombo had to had to find tone like had to go through this the the Godfather script, yes. by the way, which I yeah. thought was pretty interesting. Um, or yeah, do, do, oh, yeah, he writes, right? Yeah. Well, he, he, that's a fact. Uh, he took out any reference to the word mafia and he took wow. out specific things in there that were troubling to him and he felt were degrading. And people said, well, do you think it was a good thing? I said, well, you can't knock the movie. I mean, it was a tremendous movie. One of the most, you know, brilliant movies ever made. So whatever he did, he didn't hurt it. Um, but yeah, that, that's a fact for sure. Interesting. Crazy. But, um, Anyway, the regularness of life with The Sopranos, which doesn't look like a Goodfellas. A Goodfellas is exciting. And there's that whole essence of the show being this so regular. The casting, for instance, like casting casting James Gandolfini as opposed to who they probably initially wanted was like Anthony LaPaglia. Um, right. They really went for this every day. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a Jersey vibe. I know at this point the mob was probably already on the down, you know, not really in its heyday and its glory days, but, um, just, but they, but there was still uh, some excitement in, you know, even when you watch like Donnie Brasco and you see lefty's life, like that's still this very regular feeling life. It's not this, 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 this it's not the back door of the Copa. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not the stuff that we hear about it's at not, the stork club yeah. and, you know, all that stuff. So, and even you with, I mean, I, I, you're, you had your private Learjet, you had your helicopters, you, you lived quite a life, but you know, guys like Tony Soprano, he's middle-class, upper middle-class, yeah. rich, maybe, I don't know, but there's a regularness to everything. There's no fireworks. Everything is heavy and there's psychological issues over the mother. There's therapy. Um, so I guess what Chris was was asking, and I always have to try to tie it into the show for our rewatch rewatchers, yeah. is um, do you feel like life, like the excitement of your life, has has whittled down, or do you just feel like relief at this and point? Plus, I know you you travel a lot um, with your faith, and you get to talk about that and reform, which for me is probably even more exciting than the other stuff. Yeah. The rebirth. Yeah, I, you know, I can't say that it's a downer at all. I mean, look, you know, I enjoyed the perks at times, you know, having a plane and a helicopter and having the, the, the finances that I had. But I mean, I can't complain about my life now. It's totally different in, in many ways. But I've been fortunate that, you know, it's just another phase in my life that uh, became fun and exciting. It's like you say, I travel everywhere. But um you know, I think it's just normal. You know, I give you an idea. I went to um, I went to a doctor about a year ago, and I had this thing. You know, sometimes men get it that their beard a little bit; they get a little space there. I forget what they call it, some kind of thing. And he said, "Well, you know, that's stress related. Do you have stress?" And I said, "Doc, I don't know." I said, "I don't know if I, I don't even know what stress is. I've lived my life a certain <laughs> way. There was always stuff going on all the time. So I just deal with life. I don't know if you call that stress or whatever. You know, I so because my wife looks at me, she says, I, "I don't know anybody that handles things like you." I mean, very yeah. little gets me a lot of disappointment in my life because I feel if 
if uh, something doesn't work out, it wasn't meant to be. And I just move on to the next thing. So, um, you know, I love my life. I'm, I'm very fortunate. Uh, I really am. I can tell both you ladies that, you know, I, I'm 69 years old at this point and I, oh I've God, lived a lot longer. You look have. like you're, you're our age. I know. Or younger yeah. than us, actually. We're all, we're all, I'm almost 50. She's young. I'm not young. I'm well, not remember, my dad yeah. was 100. My, my dad at, I'm going to tell you this, my dad at 103 looked like he was in his 70s. So, That's great. Yeah, you know, so you have good genes. But I, and he always lied about his age anyhow. Until he got older, I said, Dad, it's, 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 it's legendary mm-hmm. to be this old. So you have to start telling the truth about your age. That's exactly. when he turned it around. Other than that, he used to lie about his age all the time. <laughs> then he was lying about it, make himself even older. I tell everybody I'm older because I just don't want to deal with it. I'm like, I'm 50 already because I don't want to have to deal with it. When oh. I was a little kid, I wanted to get into bars and stuff. I was like, yeah, I'm 21. Everyone, yes. Yeah, you know? I, know. I know my daughters with all the phony IDs and all. I went through all that stuff. But oh, my God. I try to keep my, keep my kids straight, you know, so that they don't get in any trouble. They got How them- strict of an Italian dad are you? Because I, my Italian dad loosened the reins with me because he didn't want me to grow up the way his sister grew up and the way my mother grew up. Um, they re- they loosened the reins too much with me, mm-hmm. obviously, because I'm a, a crazy person. But <laughs> well, you know, according to my daughters, I'm the strictest dad in the world. I'm, I, I yeah. don't know. I mean, I don't see it that way. Um, and what do they know, think my, about my- your past? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, I'm very conscious of their boyfriends and who they bring home. Of course. Of course, and uh, I demand certain things from them. They complain that I'm too old school, you know, but I'm not going to change. It's just who I I am. And, uh, you know, they think I'm very strict, but I don't think so. I think my father was more strict with my sisters than I am with them. But, you know, we have a certain standard that I try to keep. My wife says I'm a dinosaur sometimes, but, (laughs) you know, you can't change. Yeah. I'm pretty strict. Yeah. You have but, to be uh, today. These, these, this is crazy. These kids are crazy today. Yeah. Oh, I mean, no. I don't even let my kids out of my sight. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> it's crazy out there. Yeah. I'm a crazy Italian mom. And, you know, it's it's the only thing I love doing is being a mom and, a, you know, just the, the, the house frau. <laughs> house frau. House frau. That's a good thing. Let me just ask you this, because I know we're talking a lot about your life and, and, and having like a regular style interview. I know that we do a Soprano rewatch. Do you want to go through the show with us? Because you absolutely don't have to. This show doesn't have that many. Uh, there's not a lot of subtext going on. Like, So we're not going to be talking about big emotional things on the show, um, which was why we thought you'd be a great guest for because it kind of relates, relates. to... Um, just the way it opens, the way the show opens, all the different scenarios and stuff. And there's the whole pussy aspect um, with he and, and Tony Soprano, and he's an informant. And there's a lot of deception and betrayal in this episode. So if you want to go through it with us, we don't have to go scene by scene. We can just do a... So we can skim. Yeah, we can just do like a conversation about what the episode means. And you can also tell us what's real and what's not real, because I've seen you do that before. Yeah. Like what's what's BS and what <laughs> what actually seems um like if, like if you were mm-hmm. if you were the um what was what was it the he wanted you to be not the consigliere but the um the what was the word? I can't well, this is what happens to me because I'm almost fifty. If you were if you were Captain? David Chase's um Oh um Oh consigliere. <laughs> he wanted me to be this consigliere. Yeah, yeah. If you were David Chase's consigliere. 
would you have said true, false, true, false to each of these scenes? Um, Absolutely. We- I have to tell you this, and it's, it's kind of on the QT. I can't mention it, but you know the, the industry. I just signed a, a deal with a major production company, major writer, um, director on this, and it, on a TV show based in part about my life and other <gasps> experiences that I had. And okay. uh, they're not, yeah, and I'm, I'm really happy they're not announcing it. You know, they don't announce development deals. They announce the deal once they make a deal with the network. But mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really thrilled, um, ladies, with the team that they put together. Because, you know, throughout the years, people have come to me, you know, oh, sure. about making a movie and doing this. It just never felt right. And, and my wife really never wanted it. She said, we don't need that much more attention. But I said, more attention. I'm out there every day speaking and all over the place. But she was yeah. right about that. But now... Um, you know, the timing feels right. So uh, as a matter of fact, I was on the phone with the writer for an hour and a half this morning because he's picking my brain like crazy. I am more excited about your life story being made than even you are. Okay. <laughs> and by the way, can they cast me as one of the wives? I, sure. I, I, I play a perfect mob wife. Just don't kill me. She's got some experience. No, I, I just don't want to die again. <laughs> I want I want to say this and I'm not, you know, doing it because, but I, I really enjoyed your character. I, oh, I really enjoyed you. the characters were, I thought, brilliantly done in that show. Uh, I thought Tony was great. I really do. Um, and what really got me the most about the show was really the relationship, the family relationship. Yeah. Because for the first time, we saw that, you know, these people are human. You know, we're human. We have our issues like everybody else. And even though the lifestyle is totally different and it's hard for people to relate to it inside the home, you know, a lot of stuff goes on. Like I've, I've had issues with my children, you know, my son, my son was, you know, gave me some trouble for years. And, and you know, we have we have the same kind of things going on. And I thought that was the brilliance in the show. And, the, and it was great, tremendously cast, really. Yeah, I always say that when I, when, you know, on our last show, and maybe I should preface it again on this show because it's a new show, but... The thing about The Sopranos was that, and especially when when the anti um, when the Italian Anti Defamation Society were were cracking on us, it, look, it was more press for us. It was great, sure. but it w- it couldn't have been farther from like, in my opinion, those were the Italians that were not literary and not understanding what was really happening because people love this show on so many levels, mm-hmm. and the fact that you. An, an ex-mobster related to it on a familial level based on the relationships is mind-blowing because everybody related to it for a different reason, which is why it transcended the whole medium of TV and everything. Um, people loved it as a family show, but but a lot of these Italians who thought they were too good for their own heritage, they they thought it, you know, they weren't looking beyond the gunshots. They were just looking at the subculture, mm-hmm. which is a subculture that exists in our world. And it's part of our Italian heritage and we can't deny it. Every every race and every every nationality has their dregs and their subcultures and their their businesses and all of the, their stuff, you know. And I'd rather examine that than examine some boring family with a white picket fence because absolutely you know know what i mean the great thing about the show is that um the really great thing is that it was groundbreaking in such a way that it it really led the way for all these other brilliant series that are on the air now yeah Uh, sopranos was the first uh Mm -hmm. that was the great thing the bad thing that i've heard from a lot of producers is that because it sets such a high standard, it's hard to get another mob show on the on the yeah, air. The bar, because the bar was people saying so you're not going to have another Sopranos, and 
That could be true. I mean, who knows? But uh, but it, it it really led the way for all of these. Brilliant, I, I tell you, I'm so impressed with with the writing and the, the directing and the storylines on some of these series today. Yeah. These writers are brilliant. I don't know how they come up with some of these concepts, but they're, they're really brilliant. And, uh, and Sopranos led the way for all of that. No doubt. Yeah, they did. They made it safe. They made it a safe place for writers to really explore their real voices without having to be, you know, modified every other, but you know, a lot of these shows that try to emulate the Sopranos, some of them, you know, we joke around, it's just diet Sopranos. <laughs> um, but some of them are, are fantastic. And there's only a few of them. There's not too many of them. So it's, it's exciting. I'm, ex I'm excited for, for your story because it's been I a know. long time. Yeah. It's been a well, long time. That was awesome. That was really I mean, awesome. I was like flipping out a little I'm bit. Kind of, I'm, I'm on another planet because that was really cool. How do I say it? I wish my dad was alive right now to, to, have, to, to watch this I at some know. point. He was Anyways. great. Well, that's it for episode one, Gangster Goddess. Tune in next week for more Michael. Fran Franzisi. Franzisi. Or Franzisi. I, I, I think everybody I'm, probably says his name differently. Yeah. Michael, you're going to have to tell us what the right pronunciation is. Well, um, next week we're coming back with uh, part B. So tune in then. Don't forget to hit subscribe to Gangster Goddess. Um, subscribe on YouTube. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you subscribe and um, like the episode. Send us an email. Oh, did you say that we're going to be back with our Soprano rewatch? I didn't want you to say oh, that. yes. Don't worry, guys. We're still a Soprano rewatch. We're just starting with our busted and readjusted no. segments. Um, but yes, episode one of season two will be coming up shortly. Yes. Gangster Goddess Broadcast is a UV Ways and Monkey Mind Music Group production produced by Margot Carmichael, executive produced by Dre and Chris, and theme song by UV Ways.